0: We have gathered uh, with the intended purpose of seeing things as they are and not as we have believed them to be. Now, um, that's easily said, and perhaps most commonly people look out and they say, I see things the way they are. There's a house, there's a tree. What's he talking about? Well, what we see when we look out and call the normal perceptions we have is really the mind seeing reality. It's not reality as we know it to be, it's the mind's interpretation of reality. So that's not really seeing things as they are, it's seeing things as the mind arranges them to be. The spiritual search can be said to move from the way we think the world is arranged to the way it's really arranged. I would like to uh, bring forth the idea that the spiritual journey is really the uncovering of the fundamental essence of life, the fundamental irreducible essence. What does that look like? Well, it looks like reality without concepts. It looks like reality without the overlay of words. So already you get a sense of where the direction the Dharma takes is to release the need to place words on top of each and every experience. Now some of us started our meditations many years ago and we have the wisdom now to know that the mind just places thoughts randomly sometimes upon events conditioned to believe certain events are real and then places emotions upon the reality of how it supposes those events are unfolding. And that's our inward World as we have known it to be. But what is life in its most fundamental essence? How does what life display itself fundamentally? <clears throat> because if we can get a sense of the words associated with life and its essence, and these are just the expressions of life without words, then we can get a sense of a direction for our spiritual path. Instead of kind of randomly going, not really understanding where it is we're going, and uh, just applying whatever method we feel convenient. So what is life in its irreducible essence? How does it express? What are the expressions of it? So I have a few words that I want to just... Mention as a direct line, a direct aim at the fundamental essence of life. The fundamental essence of life is still. It's not noisy. If it were noisy, that would be conceptual. All noise concepts. And so it's still. It doesn't have a conceptual overlay. So naturally it's going to be still. It's going to be complete. It's not missing anything. If the fundamental essence is missing something, it wouldn't be fundamentally of essence. So it's complete. Now, just get a sense of how these words direct us in our awareness away from the normal and everyday interactions that we take the world as a visual conceptual experience, you can see stillness certainly has an alterating vantage point from the noise that we usually offer reality complete well complete never really we not, very infrequently do we feel individually complete. We feel like something's missing, we we have to add something to our experience in order to fully enjoy it and et cetera, et cetera. Well we'll get to we'll get to uh, some interpretations of that, but let me just so it's still, it's complete, it's mysterious. So think of the mystery, you don't know what it is right now if you look out away from the screen for a moment you know what everything is it all comes back into view into our world view and so but the fundamental essence doesn't contain as i mentioned this overlay of concepts and so it doesn't we don't know what we're seeing so there's a sense of not knowing which is the definition of mystery and it, wouldn't be a mystery if you knew the result. And so life wouldn't be an intrinsic mystery if we know everything that we, that's within it. So it's still complete, mysterious. Okay, so this is an important word now. It's immediate. It's not of time. It's immediate. It's either here or We've mislaid it somewhere. It's got to be here. It can't be somewhere else. If it's somewhere else, it isn't uniformly, uniformly a fundamental essence. And so it's immediate in all places and in all times. Now here's one. It's simple. In fact, it's the simplest thing. Because it's only the mind that makes the world complex, not reality. Reality is the simplest thing. We're talking about the fundamental essence. This is the path the spiritual journey takes towards the complexity of our mind in which we not only interpret it, but we have reactions to those interpretations with further narrative and on and on it goes. This is fundamentally simple. Now here's one. We sometimes say it's empty, the fundamental essence, but emptiness to me is a word that most people, uh, don't, uh, invite in very easily. It's a, it's a word that, uh, we don't know what to do with. So let me change that word. And I already alluded to it by saying that it was mysterious, but let me, let me clarify that it's inconceivable. The fundamental essence of life cannot be conceived because it's formless. It's not an object. So now we're really, we're getting somewhere. As we pair back just through the, finding a list of words that express what the fundamental essence is, we're beginning to see the direction for our meditation and. What, where it has to be directed in order to uncover this fundamental essence. So it's formless. Don't worry about the further implications of these words. Now I'm just laying out some words for you. Just listen to them and see how they resonate in terms of their truth. <clears throat> okay, so here are two words that are specific to this weekend. It's unchanging. And therefore, timeless. Unchanging. How could something be a fundamental essence if it was always evolving into something other than the fundamental essence? So it has to be unchanging. It has to be simple. It has to be still. It has to be complete. It has to be mysterious. And it has to be timeless. Don't worry about all that. Don't let it scare you. Just listen to the words. Now, let's line up our meditation practice in accordance to those words. And I ask what this weekend will be an attempt to do. It'll be attempt. It's really for mature practitioners to move in this direction. And I'm not suggesting that it's wrong for any of you, but I do want for there to be some consideration as to uh, how you get involved with the meditations and the teachings of this weekend. You should feel pull to to hear them and to enter uh, the experience of them. Not inwardly pushed, like I must, I have to, this is the, you no know, he seems to know what he's talking about, I've got to, go. don't do that to yourself. Don't do that, ever. And dharma, just sit back, allow the words to enter you, see if they resonate, if they resonate with you, see if-if energetically they seem true for you, and then move forward into them at your own pace, never the pace that you think you should go, but the pace that you feel naturally to go. <clears throat> Now, when we start looking or moving our practice along, in alignment with the fundamental essence of life, we should know that that fundamental essence of life really does change our perceptions of what the world is and what we are within that world. Things don't remain the same, and we see the fundamental essence in the sameness, in the same perceptions that we view with the world now, it doesn't work like that. We have to be willing, and willing is the word, to allow our perceptions to shift and to alter. Some of us have had the beginning of that altered shift when we see things like in oneness or more unity or more inclusivity. That's the beginning of the shift of perception towards the fundamental essence, but it's not Complete yet, <clears throat> it's like five degrees on a 360 <clears throat> degree sphere. It's just, it's just moving it, ratcheting it forward a little bit. Reality, as it is, when we bring in all those words, still incomplete and mysterious and inconceivable and formless and all of that, doesn't leave. It seems to us it doesn't leave a lot, so let me reassure you that everything that you see in the world as you perceive it does alter, but it doesn't mean that you're in some homogeneous space where you w- walk into things because you no longer recognize what they are and you have vanished as a person into emptiness and it's not, it's not scary like that. It's not like that at all. It's very quiet. Life, existence is within that stillness. We cover our existence with the ideas we have about it, but in its raw form, it's unimaginably pure. And simple existence, life, free of definition, free of boundaries. So we will be exploring time and the timeless dimensions of reality this weekend. That uh, that's a that's casting our trajectory pretty far. But let me give you, there there needs to be four basic uh, uh, the word requirement is the only, only uh, noun that seems to meet what I'm about to say. So I'll say there are four basic requirements to move softly and gently into this journey. The first one is stability. We have to have a certain stability and maturity of consciousness in order to do this. we are going to call into question our basic assumptions, like time. We better have something stable that we can understand and not get panicked by the removal of time. So now our usual ground of stability is our worldview, what we take life to be, our underlying assumptions about life. And as we start moving towards the fundamental essence of life, that ground shifts. So we can no longer count on our worldview as to being the solidity and stability that we need. Fortunately, Buddhism provides a structure it explains the changes that will begin to evolve in us as we move down this line towards the simplicity and fundamental reality. So, where once we relied on thought to ground our reality, wisdom upends that reliance. So, many of you have, you're not new at meditation, and therefore you've had perhaps years, some of you I recognize as decades, you've had an opportunity for meditation to begin to show you how to navigate the mind, what the mind is. And as you take a seat in awareness and begin to look at the displays of mind, you begin to see them as happening conditionally and not often, it's not me that's thinking, it's thinking that I'm hearing, it's coming up uh, on its own. This throws us off the usual normal way that we think of the mind and ourselves within it. And so we've already shifted a great deal in the reality that we once supposed upon ourselves and the reality we once held the world to. Even the beginning phases of meditation shake us in that direction. So some of you already have the ground to continue that maturing wisdom. What Buddhism may call uh, samadhi, samadhi is really the stability of wisdom, so that You don't take every reaction or every thought or every emotion as being true for yourself. It's just the conditioned phenomena that arises inwardly as certain events correspond externally. And so we're already breaking apart the once inseparable cohesion of reality to always mean what we have known it to mean. That's what I mean. But wisdom takes time to mature. That's fair enough. And over time, it deepens. So that once we thought of the mind as a solidity of tissue and all of that, we now begin to see what is arising out of it has a more fundamental stillness from which it's arising. Now we're getting into the more refined dharma. Rather than just spending our time looking at thought or adapting to adapting thoughts, which many of us do, and changing our character a little bit because that's accessible to us, and taking care of ourselves, the self care aspect of meditation, those are all fine and noble ways to proceed. But many of us begin at some point to have a deeper curiosity. The second Requirement of the journey, stability, curiosity. Curiosity says, please come. I want, it, it encourages us in our exploration. It encourages us towards the mystery. We're not, unless we have some sense of not knowing, we have very little, why would we be curious? We're not curious about it if we know everything about it. We know everything about it. And that's the end of curiosity. It's when you don't know, and when you really reframe what the nature of life is as a curiosity, then you also have to have the mystery that invites that curiosity forward. So now we have a feeling inside of us. It's actually heart-driven, a heart-driven. It's not mind. Curiosity The mind does not want to know anything but what it already knows and expands that knowledge on and on. Curiosity is a different comes from a different organ. It doesn't even come from the mind, it comes from the real from reality itself. It's an invitation to to move into, to envelop oneself within. So stability, but that has to happen in stability. If we don't have stability, and that is a sense of Of safety, really, within where we're going, a safety, so that we're not being threatened by the changes that we're going to see, or the newness, or the, the, um, the, uh, perceptual newness of that, uh, we won't have the, we won't have the ability not to, uh, to understand the fears that are naturally going to arise. There's going to be fear in this exploration. Anytime you move from what you absolutely know into what you don't, egoically, fear is brought to bear so that you won't go there. The ego is attempting to keep you within the confines of what you know, the stability of what you know. But when you have greater stability than just reliance on what you know, now you can move through into your curiosity. So curiosity is an extraordinary... Point. So, if in this weekend you have curiosity, that's often an indication that you have enough stability to move forward. It's a it's a very important, it's a subtle point, but very important. And and as a, as I was going to mention, Buddhism beautifully puts a structure in place where the weird experiences that we'll always have at some point within our meditation can be defined. There is commentary, endless commentary of 2,500 years of meditators who say, "Well, I saw this and this happened and this and that. And yet within the Buddhist structure is anatta, no self. And you go, whoa, you know, I just experienced that. Okay, but that's what you're supposed to be experiencing. That's, That's within the framework. That's what's so beautiful about Buddhism is that it provides you a ground of experience that you can say oh yeah that's that's happening to me now rather than all you know some people awaken just you know happenstance and it doesn't provide any relevance in their life they don't know what to do with that experience they don't because they don't have the context for it so be thankful that the buddhism that buddhism does provide that so We've gotten to stability, curiosity. Now, intention is the third one. Intention, again, is not a, well, there's worldly intention. That is how you would like to use your life day to day. And when you look at your life in terms of decades, you know, I want a house, I want to be married, I want to have children. Whatever those details are that you try to fill in are your worldly intentions. But I'm speaking about spiritual intention now. Now, when I was a young, young, uh, maybe just around 10 or a little older, I don't know, in through there somewhere, I had the experience of being confined by my mind, so limited, and that I couldn't, that all of this was out there and I was in here, and somehow I wanted it to, I wanted it to involve into boundarylessness. I don't know, I don't know why that occurred to me, but when I spoke to adults about it, they told me to just get on with my life, basically. (laughs) Forget about that. That's nonsense. So, as a child, you kind of forget about it, but it never left me. The reason I got into meditation to begin with in my 20s is because I felt like I was incomplete. I I felt like I was partial. Now, yes, there's was, was all the conditioning of my childhood with self-doubt and and uh, you know, feeling inadequate and all of that stuff. But this that's not what I'm talking about here. That was it wasn't an emotional frame of reference. It was a a kind of a knowing that that I wasn't complete. And so the sense of completeness of completing myself, was my intentionality. For some, it's different. For some, it has other ways of introducing that intention, that spiritual intention. And some, you just want to be a better person. You know, that's fine. But if you look deeply, most of us will feel that sense of drive towards completion. Right now right now Don't bypass that as being irrelevant. It's extraordinary irrelevant. Extraordinary relevant because that's what the driving force You might think of life, existence, coming back in on itself to pull us towards it, into completion. Forget the sense of me and what I do. You're a nuisance to this process. You're a hindrance to it. It's letting the forces of life that compel us through our intention, through our curiosity, to meet ourselves unguarded, in the essence of what life is the essence that unguardedness into completion now something that is within our ability to control is our attention usually it's out of control because it just goes where your mind alights into the worlds of, world of pleasure and desire. In the imagination, if we're conjuring up <clears throat> an imaginative scene in which we'll pay attention to it. In which we're happier than we are sitting in the world that we know. We'll pay attention to the, to the myth. We'll pay attention to the image. We'll pay attention to the imagining. We'll pay attention to Objects in life that attract us. So, <clears throat> so attention is a is a very important quality to have, especially when you're starting to move beyond what is known. Mostly our attention wants to stay on just what we know and hold itself there because the ego is directing it in that way. But let me give you an example. I didn't want I I keep thinking of examples that I want to use later on <laughs> this weekend. So, but let me, okay, so I'll give you a common example. That is, when you're meditating, our attention usually he gets invested in the thoughts that are going on and sometimes we remember to pay attention to thoughts as arising from quiet rather than being invested and lost in thought so that that really is a that that is within our control either we can just stay lost in thought or we can resettle quiet a little bit and hear the thoughts arising rather than to believe the thoughts that are arising that's a direction our, of our attention. And that direction gets more and more refined by the subtle nuances of what's arising <clears throat> as it proceeds towards greater simplicity. So, attention is in your domain. You can direct it that way, if you like. It will learn to direct itself towards its essence. But first you have to learn that your essence is inviting and not terrorizing. Now. Intention. Attention. Curiosity. Stability. Let's now switch. I'm going to switch. We're going to explore time this weekend. We're going to explore how we usually use it, how we think about it, and then we're going to start moving the needle towards the timeless, which is where the fundamental essence resides in the timeless. Uh, But You should feel safe in making this journey. Uh, And if you don't, you can always just pull yourself out, listen to what's going on, see if it's interesting to you, stay within the energetic movement of it so that you still uh, resonate with what's being said and not just turn yourself off to it. But you can get as involved as you'd like. Some of you would like to stay very much in your own time zone Theoretically, time zone meaning how I understand time. Others of you would very much be willing to come along with my words. And so, let me begin that process now. So, we have worldly time. We have time as we normally think about it. And time as we normally think about it, normally being... uh, Conventionally think about it the conventional 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 usage of time is that it's a commodity It's happening to us, but we could be wasting it. That's a commodity statement we could be saving it that's another expression of a commodity It's time kind of has our possession, and even though. Nothing has changed. Time continues to pass. We can get very irritated that we are wasting it. I don't actually know what that means anymore because it's been so long since I've viewed time from a wasting, saving perspective. But what's saving me? It's all our time. Waiting for the bus is as relevant as getting on the bus. If you aren't lost in where the moment is going from here, I've got to get on the bus. I have to get to this place at this such and such a time, on and on. Never mind, the bus is late, and you're not you're excused from the problem. We think of it in terms of oh God, now I'm gonna. It brings a whole psychological event forward in which we are shamed and feeling, you know, doubtful and all of that. So time has the greatest influence over our lives. creates anxiety. It also creates contentment when we're not being flustered. We can relax within time. But we really don't know what it is. Or am I relating to it in a wise way? Usually, when time is uh, angu- has anxiety associated with it, it means that I'm not I'm not doing something meaningful and important. It's directly implicating our sense of worth, and in that way, it's seen as a limitation. If I could just have it move in the direction I want to, if I can live as long as I want to, if I can have things arise the way I think they should arrive. But listen to this now for a second. Because this is the beginning of the journey away from time as a commodity. And it's something that everyone can get a sense of. If you stop somebody in the street, and you said, "Okay," I'm just going to ask you a few questions. You said. Uh, where is the past? Where is the future? Well, the future is what I'm going to do and the past is what I have done. But where is it now? Where is the past? And where is the future now? I know that you'll be somewhere else as time moves us forward, and I know you've been somewhere else where time was, but where is time actually happening? And you can key them a little and say perhaps it simply exists within our thinking. It's a thought overlay on the reality of now. No matter how we frame time, eventually you have to see that there is no past. There is no future. It's only in our thinking away from the present now. Now, that really is the journey from time to timeless. Right there. That simple equation that makes sense to all of us, whether we've experienced it, I'm pointing not so much at the conceptual understanding of that, but at the realized experience of knowing that. When we open up our view beyond the horizontal marching orders of now and then and will be and has been, which is a mental overlay on reality, on now, the now opens up to be inclusive of all of that thinking and never moving. It doesn't move. It holds time, but itself is not of time. So everything we've made out of time all of our anxieties, all of our projections, all of our hopes, all of our anticipations, all of our expectations, all of our regrets. Shall I go on? Has nothing at all to do with now. And it's your belief in you, as a separate individual, that really did have these experiences and really should feel ashamed, that is the problem. Not now. Because time forms desire and fear and hope. Knowledge and memory. On and on. And so at the heart of this is the sense of me. Now I'm going to give you something now that's going to nudge you a little. The sense of self is dependently arising with time. It is because we think in terms of moving time into a frame of reference of past and future that we ourselves exist as separate individuals. And when you start exploring time and looking at its refined meaning within how we hold it compared to now, you can see that very fact arising within it, the sense of me arising as I get irritated with the in, with the way the moment is moving because it's boring, is it That means it's not meeting your expectations. That's all so the question we're going to be exploring what then is the relationship between me and Time. They are dependently arising. As we slow down and become less aggrieved at time, now becomes more encompassing. The sense of self becomes less dense. Its density is related to its angst about time or regret look at desire the buddha said desire causes suffering now in his four noble truths but what is desire desire is a, a feeling we have for something that is not here it's in time the desire compels me to go after the journey towards it And procure it. But it's not anything but a thought. And so depending upon how successful I am at gaining and seizing whatever it is I'm wishing for. Will be whether I get satisfied by the moment of desire or irritated, annoyed. Any of those is because time is not recognized for what it is. Desire is not recognized for what it is. It's in time. Fear in time. We keep ourselves in motion. We stay in motion to keep ourselves known and manifested. Motion gives us a sense of solidity, density, and meaning that affirms us. But which is true? This is so the sense of time, the driven sense of self, heavy and purposeful, or the open and expansive, translucent essence of now. I call this talk A Steady and Accurate Aim. A-I-M, AIM. So here we are. This is the weekend that you signed up for. Maybe not what you signed up for, but this is the weekend we'll be having together.